Thank you, Sarah. Please stand up as we prepare to read from God's Word this morning. If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. We'll be reading verses 1 through 14. Again, Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. Pastor Bruce continues in a series in the second coming of Jesus called Living in the Last Days. And this morning's message is titled, The Sign of the Times. So again, follow along as I read from Matthew 24, verses 1 through 14. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, The love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Please bow your heads and pray me, please, this morning. Our Heavenly Father, our attitude this morning is of gratitude to you and of worshiping you. You are a merciful, loving, and powerful, and almighty, and all-knowing Heavenly Father. Teach us to be strong and bold as we continue to learn about these ending days. Father, help us to be prepared for these days. Father, that you would have us to do and accomplish what you would will in our lives to be ready in these days. That we would be sharing with many the good news that we have at this point, Father. We thank you for all that you give us. Be with Pastor Bruce and this message in your name. Amen. Well, how many of you are old enough to remember the eruption of Mount St. Helens? Raise your hand. Oh, most of you, many of you. And uh, I know some of you probably don't remember. It happened in 1980, 30 years ago. And so you may not remember that, but most of you here do. 30 years ago, as I said, Mount St. Helens became the object of concern as it started sending puffs of smoke hundreds of feet into the Washington sky. Every piece of scientific evidence collected in the labs and on the field predicted the volcano would soon explode with a fury. Warning 
blared the loudspeakers on patrol cars and helicopters. Warning! Blinked battery-powered signs at every major intersection. Warning! Pleaded radio and television announcers. Lakeside villages, tourist camps, hiking trails all emptied as people heard the warnings and fled for their lives. Nonetheless, an 83-year-old man named Harry Truman, along with his 16 cats, refused to leave. He was the caretaker of a recreation lodge on Spirit Lake, located five miles north of Mount St. Helens' smoke-enshrouded peak. The rangers warned Harry of the imminent danger. Neighbors begged him to join them and leave. But Harry ignored the warnings. Interviewed on television, Harry grinned and simply said, Nobody knows this mountain more than Harry, and it doesn't blow up on him. But on May 18, 1980, as the boiling gases beneath the mountain surface bulged and buckled the landscape to its final limits, Harry was cooking his breakfast. At 8.31 a.m., the mountain exploded. Concussive waves of heat traveling faster than the speed of sound flattened him and everything else for 150 square miles. There were signs that something was going to happen, but Harry ignored the warning signs and he paid a price for his neglect. Scores of people are doing the same thing even today. When it comes to the signs of the times Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus here is warning us that He is sovereign. He's letting us know that life as we know it is not going to continue on forever. There is coming a day when Jesus will come again. And the question is, are you ready? Are you prepared? In Matthew chapter 24 and 25, Jesus gives us His most famous message about the last days and His second coming. Jesus and the disciples, they have just left the temple in Jerusalem. They're now sitting on the Mount of Olives where they can look back behind them and overlook that magnificent temple buildings. Just moments before, the disciples had expressed their amazement at the grandeur of the temple. And so when Jesus predicted the utter demolition of the temple in chapter, in verse 2 of 24, the disciples were astonished. They're blown away by this prediction that Jesus gave them, and for good reason. The temple was the very centerpiece of Israel's national glory. So why, in their minds, would Jesus predict a destruction of their national glory, of Israel's glory? I mean, could not Jesus just simply defeat Israel's enemies and establish His kingdom, place Himself on the throne as He promised? And so the destruction of the temple made no sense to the disciples. What Jesus was predicting simply didn't fit with their expectations of the Messiah. That's the dilemma that led the disciples to raise the questions in Matthew 24, verse 3. When they asked Jesus this, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, in their minds, as we, we discussed last Sunday, in their minds, they have really only asked one question. From their perspective, the destruction of the temple could only mean one cataclysmic 
event or only one thing, and that is the end of the world and the fulfillment of the kingdom of Jesus. But in their asking of these questions, they're really asking a two-part question. They're asking two separate questions, if you will. One is, when will the temple be destroyed? That's the first question or the first part of what they're asking Jesus. But then the second question is kind of a two-parter uh, in one question is, what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, from our vantage point here today, looking back 2,000 years, we can see at least two major future events that Jesus refers to in his answer. And the first event is, obviously, the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, this prediction was literally fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the Roman armies invaded Jerusalem and laid siege to it. But then the second future event that Jesus is referring to here is the tribulation period that will come before the second coming of Jesus at the end of the age. Now, although... The destruction of the temple is alluded to in verses 15 through 22. Uh, I believe that the main focus of Jesus' answer to the disciples on the events that are still yet future to you and I. In fact, Jesus' reply in Matthew 24 is really an extended answer to the, the more important question, at least for us, about the signs of His coming in the end of the age. And so while Jesus declined to set precise time or precise date for these events, he did outline some signs. In fact, he outlined many signs that would indicate or at least give us some insight into the time of his coming is drawing near, which brings us to our first point this morning. And that's really what what I want us to look at is two simple points in this next section of Matthew 24. And the first point I want us to notice is this. Be aware of the signs of the times. Be aware of the signs of the times. In Matthew 24, in these verses that Randy read for us, specifically in verses 4 through 14, Jesus reveals six signs of the times. Now, let me just step back and say that as we study these verses, keep in mind they have a double reference. What I mean by that is these signs are true and present in every generation. But they will be especially visible as we approach the end of the age. We'll talk about that a little more in our second point here. But let's look at these signs of the time. Six of them. The first sign is this. We see that Jesus gives us is the deception by false Christ or false messiahs. Deception. Look again at what Jesus says in verse 4 through 5. He says, Take heed that no one, what? Deceives you. Why? For many will come in my name, that is in Jesus' name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will deceive many. Now, false Christ, false messiahs are nothing new. I mean, there were plenty of false Christs even before Jesus' time, and there have been been multitudes since then, including even many in our own day. I mean, all you have to do is go back and look at Jim Jones to David Koresh, and those are just two names that we're more familiar with, occult leaders who have claimed to be the incarnation of Christ in our lifetime. In fact, in a 2006 interview on NBC Today, 
Jose Miranda, the pastor of a group called Growing in Grace, claimed that he is Jesus Christ returned to earth. That is a false Messiah. That's a false Christ. And as we approach the end of the age, not only will a number of false Christs increase, but so will the number of gullible people. Not only will the deceit be more powerful, but people will be so lacking in spiritual discernment that they will be more vulnerable to the lies than ever before. Why? Because having turned away from the truth, you say the truth of what? The truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the truth of the word of God. People will follow anyone who speaks with authority, anyone who promises to help solve their problems in life, anyone who basically comes along and says, listen, I can give you meaning to life, purpose in life. All this deception, though, will come to a climax during the tribulation period when the Antichrist displays the works of Satan by using what is according to 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10, all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. In fact, the Antichrist, we'll look at him, who this person is, what he will do next Sunday, but he will be so successful at mimicking the work of God through these miracles that millions of people will follow him to their ultimate destruction. So the first sign is deception by false messiahs, false Christ. The second sign we see is disputes among the nations. Jesus says in verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And then in verse 7, he adds these words, For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. In fact, it's interesting. The verb tense suggests continual action. Literally, you will be hearing of wars. As if nonstop, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. It will, there will be constant talk of wars. And of such wars, some of it will be true, others of it will be rumors. About ten years before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, there was a significant increase in wars and rumors of wars. And let me tell you, the subject of wars has dominated the public to this very day. I mean, let's just take, for example, the 20th century that we have just come out of. It was dominated by talk of war. From two world wars in the beginning all the way to the war on terror, even today. In fact, Leon Trotsky once commented that anyone seeking a peaceful world picked the wrong century to be born in. The fact is, lasting peace... Peace that our world longs for will not come until Christ returns and triumphs in the battle of Armageddon and establishes kingdom for the millennial reign. The third sign we learn of here is devastation throughout the world. Devastation throughout the world. In fact, the onset of the last days will bring about an increase in natural disasters throughout the world. Jesus says in the second half of verse 7, and there will be famines, pestilences, or plagues, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now it's true, and it's obvious, that the world has witnessed many earthquakes, famines, and plagues. But those will be nothing compared to the calamities of the tribulation period. They will occur in various places, and apparently even simultaneously. As some parts of the earth will starve from famines... Others will be shattered by earthquakes and others decimated by plagues. And so we see a third sign here is devastation 
throughout the world. Natural disasters. The fourth sign is deliverance of believers to persecution. In other words, they will be delivered or handed over to persecution and suffering. Those who come to faith after the rapture during the tribulation period will pay a tremendous price in terms of suffering and persecution. Look what Jesus says in verse 9. Then they, that is the world, will deliver you, that is believers, up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now this verb, it's interesting, will deliver. That verb phrase is often used of, uh, to speak of arrest and imprisonment. But many will go beyond that. Many will be killed for their faith. And all, Jesus says, will be hated by all nations on account of Christ. Now this persecution of believers is really nothing more than an expression of their hatred towards Christ himself or towards the Lord. Now it's true, God's people, as we have seen in our last series, in our study of 1 Peter, God's people have always suffered for Christ's sake. Nothing new. In fact, many believers around the world are persecuted and martyred every day, including the 20th century, including our century even now. But during this period at the end of the age, there will be an increase in the intensity and severity of the persecution. In fact, when the Holy Spirit withdraws His restraint and Satan has greater freedom than what even he does today, believers will suffer as they have never suffered before. The fifth sign we learn of is then defection of counterfeit believers. As persecution intensifies in the end times, and as believers begin to be arrested and hated and martyred for Christ's sake, listen, many counterfeit or false believers will defect. They will fall away. They will abandon. And although these people may have led an outward, may have had an outward identification with Christ, they will prove by their defection that they were never truly saved to begin with. That they were not true believers. In fact, they will fall away from the faith. And then Jesus goes on, he says, they will turn against other true believers. As Jesus describes in verse 10, and then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Now, it's interesting. Some will forsake Christ because the cost of persecution will be too high. They won't want to pay the price. Others will fall away from the faith because the deception of false prophets will be too convincing. Look what Jesus says in verses 11 and 12. Then many false prophets will rise up, and what will they do? Deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But look what Jesus says next in verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, this does not mean that a person's endurance produces salvation. Our salvation isn't by works, not by what we do. We understand, according to Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace. It's by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross that we have salvation. But rather, this means that our endurance, or these people, these believers after the tribulation, during the tribulation, their endurance is proof that they really are true believers. 
In fact, true believers will endure. Just as we learned in 1 Peter, true believers will suffer to the end. They will persevere. And God Himself guarantees their endurance. We learned that in our last series as well. And so we see the fifth sign is a defection, an abandonment, if you will, of counterfeit believers. The sixth sign we now come to is the declaration of the gospel to the world. Declaration of the gospel to the world. This sign is vastly different, obviously, in character from all the others. Before the Lord returns, he says in verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now, it's amazing. Even in the midst of so much deception, with so much devastation, persecution, and defection of false believers, the gospel will continue to be proclaimed. That is amazing. Jesus says the gospel will literally be preached in all the world. And though Satan may be seen, may seem to be having his heyday during this time period, the Lord Jesus Christ will not be without a witness. You say, well, how will this happen? How will the gospel be preached during this time? Well, by both natural means and supernatural means. We know from other scripture that the 144,000 witnesses will proclaim the gospel according to Revelation chapter 7. Later on, Revelation teaches us that the two witnesses will be giving amazing power to proclaim the gospel. In fact, uh, and verify their authority with great signs and wonders. And then in Revelation 14, just before the bold judgments are poured out, God will send an angel from the heaven to proclaim the gospel to the world. That is supernatural. And after the gospel is proclaimed, let me tell you, the opportunity for salvation will be over. Because, as Jesus said, the end will come. Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, we ought to be aware of these signs of the times. By careful study of what Jesus has just said to his disciples, we can gain insight into the signs of his second coming and the end of this present age. Doesn't mean we know all things. It doesn't wipe away the mystery. In fact, one of the things we need to understand in this series is while the scripture declares the reality of the second coming, it is still surrounded in much mystery. There are still things we don't know, we don't understand, and there is much debate among the sequence, the timing, and the events surrounding it. But nonetheless, we are certain of one thing. Jesus is coming again, and we need to be ready. A careful study of these signs can help prepare us a little bit. But at the same time, Jesus also addresses two dangers when it comes to these signs of the times. It's as almost if Jesus anticipates our struggle with these signs, which is why we need, and what I would say to us is even more important point than the first point, why we need to take heed to the warnings of the Lord. We need to take heed to the warnings of the Lord. Listen, it's not enough just to be aware of the signs of the times. We must also take heed of the Lord's warnings or we might, we may find ourselves in turmoil. 
We may find ourselves deceived. We may find ourselves troubled and worried and in panic. And so let's look at these two warnings that Jesus Christ gave to his disciples and consequently to you and I even for today. The first warning we see, Jesus says, is don't be deceived by the signs of the times. Don't be deceived. Isn't it interesting that Jesus begins in verse 4 with what? A warning. He begins this whole discussion, his whole answer to the disciples' questions about when will the temple be destroyed and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. Before he says anything, he gives them a warning. Listen, that's not by accident. That is on purpose. He says in verse 4, Take heed that no one deceives you. If there there was a word for these times as we look toward the future, it is deception. Our Lord's warning about deception ought to be etched on our hearts. We need to embrace this warning. And while we must always be on the alert for deception, Jesus declares we must be especially watchful for spiritual deceit as the day of his return approaches. In fact, this warning is so important that three different times in Matthew 24, Jesus stops to warn his disciples about the deception to come. Three times he gives this warning. It's as if Jesus were saying to his disciples... And saying to us today, listen, don't be fooled by deceptive people. Especially those who come in my name saying, I am the Christ. Don't be fooled by what is being taught today or preached today or cults and whatnot. Don't be fooled by half-truths. Don't be fooled by these things that are out even in our culture today. And of course, you say, how do you not do that? The first and foremost is, you got to know the truth. That's why it's so important that we are in the Bible. We know our Bibles. We are under preaching and teaching. We understand the truth of the gospel in what Jesus says. Don't be deceived by deceptive people in the world. But there's not only a danger of being fooled by deceptive people. False prophets, listen, there is also the danger of being deceived by these six signs even as well. So Jesus is also warning us, don't just be, don't be fooled by deceptive people. He's saying don't be fooled by devastating events in the world. Because when you look at these six signs, that's what a lot of them are. They're devastating events. In other words, don't misread. Don't misinterpret these six signs of the times. Instead, keep perspective. Keep your head about you. And you say, what, what are some keys on this? How can I begin to keep perspective? Well, I think it begins by understanding a couple points here. And you'll see the first here in your notes, keep perspective, in that these signs are true and present in every generation. Understand that in every generation there have been and will be false messiahs, Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, persecution of believers, apostasy, and the preaching of the gospel. So it would be a mistake on our part to read about the swine flu and the earthquake in Haiti and jump to the conclusion that Jesus must be coming this year. Or to think that a national ID card means the Antichrist will soon be revealed. 
Or to think that the war in Afghanistan is the first stage in the Battle of Armageddon. That would be a mistake. Yes, the Bible warns us of perilous times, dangerous times to come in the last days. But we must not make the mistake of reading too much into any one contemporary event or even in a series of events. Keep perspective. Don't be fooled by devastating events in the world. A second way to keep perspective is to realize that the tempo and the intensity of these events will increase, though, as we approach the last days. While all these signs will be with us in every generation, there will be an increase in tempo and intensity as we approach the close of this age. This is the primary meaning when Jesus says in verse 8, look what it says. Look what he writes. All these things are the beginning of what? Sorrows. In fact, if you have an NIV translation or another translation, it will translate that word sorrows into birth pains. Now, you ladies that have given birth, you understand this more than any of us here this morning. When a woman is pregnant, the doctor can tell, and she knows from the calendar, the general time frame when that baby's going to be delivered, when it is due. Her body will begin to send signals as the day approaches that that baby is on the way. Those signals are called labor pains or birth pains. They begin with low intensity, low frequency. She may even experience false labor or premature labor pains. But eventually, those labor pains will increase in tempo and intensity, signifying that the time of the delivery is coming. It is inevitable. So be prepared. That future dad, maybe a current dad, better have his bags packed. He better be ready. Get that wife to the hospital. Something like that will happen at the end of this age, signifying that Jesus is coming soon. It's imminent. It's sure. It's on the way. The coming kingdom of Christ will be preceded by a period of seven years of suffering and tribulation. And in fact, the clearest picture of that seven-year tribulation period is found in Revelation chapter 6 all the way through 19. But in many other passages in the Bible speak of it. In fact, Jeremiah 30, verse 7, calls this time period the time of Jacob's trouble. Interesting, because it's primarily for the nation of Israel and not for the church, I believe. In fact, you may be wondering at this point in time, or even in times past, last Sunday, or as we come to it even more throughout this series, will we as the church go through the tribulation? You ever thought about that? You ever wondered about that? There's basically three different views on this point. I can summarize them by calling them, you know, a pre-tribulation view, a mid-tribulation view, or a post-tribulation view. That is when Christ comes in the clouds, what we call the rapture. And those who are dead in Christ, those who are alive in Christ, will be caught up with Him in the air. When will that take place? I personally believe and hope that the church will be removed from the earth before the seven-year period of the tribulation begins. In fact, you can read more about the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I personally believe true believers will be kept from the hour of trial. 
that will come upon the whole earth as Revelation 3.10 describes it. Now, regardless of what view you may take when it comes to the timing of the rapture of the church, we must take heed to this first warning. Don't be deceived by the signs of the times. Instead, keep a proper perspective about you. But there's a second warning that Jesus gives to his disciples and to you and I. And that is, don't be troubled by the signs of the times. Don't be troubled by them. Listen, in an atmosphere created by deceptive people and devastating events, it is easy to be worried. It is easy to be gripped by fear. I mean, just look at 2009 and even the first four months of 2010. How many of us have not already have a little worry in our hearts? How many of us have not already been gripped by a little fear? What's going to happen to our country? What's going to happen to the economy and my job and security and this and that? But what does Jesus say about all this? He tells us in Matthew 24, verse 6, look at it. See that you are not what? Troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Not what? Not troubled. Are you kidding me, Lord? Not troubled? Not worried? Not shaken up by all this? I mean, how in the world can we keep from being alarmed and troubled by the increase of all these devastating events? Listen, as believers, we have one thing going for us that the unbelieving world does not. That allows us to keep calm in the midst of chaos and in the midst of what is even going on in our world today. And that is, as believers, because we have the Word of God, we understand it, we know and we can have confidence that God is what? He is sovereign over history. And His purpose will prevail in the end. Listen, if we take no other comfort from the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, we ought to rejoice that He is clearly the Lord of history and He will prevail. Amen? Listen, His purposes will not be thwarted, will not be stopped by Satan or his demons or even by mankind. His purposes will prevail. He will prevail. God is sovereign over history. Now, just consider this with me. Put yourself in the disciples' sandals for just a moment. You're sitting on the Mount of Olives. You're overlooking the temple. And you're asking Jesus these questions. When will that be destroyed? And what will be the sign of your coming and in the end of the age? And Jesus begins to give his answer to you. And let me tell you, your ears are perked up. You are listening intently. And just consider this. Before Jesus left the earth 2,000 years ago, and when he gave this answer to the disciples, he knew about the wars and earthquakes that would ravage humanity, even up to our day today. He knew how his followers would be persecuted. He knew about the false Christ that would lead people astray, even in the last days in the tribulation period. And he also knew his gospel would be proclaimed around the world. 
No wonder Jesus could then say to his disciples and say to you and I this morning, see that you are not troubled. Now that's a needed word of caution. That's a good word for us today. Even in 2010, when so many people across our nation are gripped by fear and worry. One commentator said it this way. In times of crisis, Christians should be the calmest people on the block because they have the king of kings on their side. Why could Jesus say, don't be troubled, don't be alarmed, don't be gripped with fear and panic because of what he said next as well. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Jesus was, in essence, telling his disciples that these devastating events that will begin to take place signal the beginning of the end. But the end is not yet. But it's in sight. Day by day, yes, it is drawing closer. So keep calm. God is over all. He is sovereign. And his purpose will prevail in the end. I love that. Does that mean... That there aren't times when you watch the evening news, even today, that your heart doesn't rumble with a little worry and trouble? Absolutely. We're human. But folks, we need to remember, we don't have to live troubled. We don't have to live alarmed and panicked and gripped by fear and uncertainty. We have the Word of God, and we know the last chapter. We know the end of the story. We know how it ends. No wonder being a believer in Jesus Christ gives us great comfort. Now, as I said last week, and let me say it again, I will probably say it repeatedly throughout this series. The events surrounding the second coming of Christ are not for our fascination. Did you get that? The events of the second comings of Christ, and all that surrounds the second coming and the Lord's return, are not for our fascination, although it is normal for us to be fascinated by that. More importantly, it is for our transformation. Our lives ought to be different. We ought to live differently. Listen, if you believe this morning that Jesus is coming again, then it should make a difference in how you live today. So let me end with this one question. If Jesus is coming soon, how then should we live? If Jesus is coming soon, how then should we live? I would suggest that we should live as if Jesus may return at any moment. Listen, there are many things we know, right? And there are many things we don't know about the future. But this much is certain. Jesus is coming again and his return may be sooner than you think. And so the smartest thing you can do. Has anybody ever told you that? Hey, this is the smartest thing you can do in life. Listen, I'm going to give you a little clue here this morning. The smartest thing I can do. The smartest thing you can do in light of Jesus coming soon. 
is to live as if Jesus may return at any moment. That is the smartest thing that we can do. The bottom line is quite simple. If Jesus comes today, will you be ready? If Jesus comes tomorrow, will you be ready? If Jesus comes in your lifetime, will you be ready? Listen, this is no time to play church. It's time to get serious with the Lord. It is no time to be religious. It's time to get right with God. And this is no time to just go through the motions. It's time to put Jesus first in our lives. So let me ask you again a very simple question. Do you know Jesus? I don't mean just the facts about Jesus, but do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you know Him as your personal Savior and Lord? Because you have put your faith and trust in what He did on the cross and paying the penalty for your sins and the power of His resurrection that now gives you new life and allows you to live a victorious life. Do you know that Jesus? This is no time to be without Him. And if we are living in the last days, listen, you don't want to be caught by surprise when Jesus comes again. So let me put it in very plain language. If you don't know Jesus, let me encourage you to get saved today. Confess your sin. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And find comfort in knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Don't wait. Don't say, oh, tomorrow I'll come to Christ. Next week I'll come to Christ. And listen, how do you know what tomorrow will bring? How do you know? And how can you be so sure you will even be alive tomorrow? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. You may die. Jesus may return. Are you ready? After 9-11... Paul Harvey, who I'm sure most of you are familiar with, who, in fact, he died just this last year, last February of 2009. Paul Harvey reminded his listeners that Billy Graham's words were heard all around the world when he spoke at the National Cathedral on September 14th of 2001. Mr. Harvey then quoted the words of Jesus, stating that the gospel would be preached to the world and then the end would come. He then paused, as only Paul Harvey could do, and he said these words. To some of you, this brings great comfort. To others of you, if it's not comforting, you can make it so. You can make it so. Listen, that is the opportunity we have now. If knowing that Jesus is coming soon, and that he could come today... And then the end does not bring you comfort. You can make it so. We're going to have a response time in a few moments here. And you can confess your sin to Christ. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ through prayer and express the desire of your heart and ask God to forgive you and ask Him to come into your life. Because you believe He is the Christ and He died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sins and He rose again. And you can have the comfort and the assurance knowing that you are a child of God 
Because you have a relationship through Jesus Christ. And that when Jesus comes again, you are part of His family. And He will take you up with Him. And you will reign with Him forever and ever in the new Jerusalem. That is a comfort. You can make it so this morning. Will you bow your heads with me? And again, I tell you, I ask you, Jesus is coming soon. Are you ready to meet Him? And today you can take that first step in getting ready for Christ's return. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're not ready, but God is pricking at your heart and He's tugging at your heart to know Him and to come to Him, I want to lead you in a simple prayer to follow, to receive the forgiveness of sin, to receive eternal life, and to know for sure what will happen when you die or if Christ should return. You could just follow me and just express this prayer in your own heart. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I cannot save myself. I want to turn from my sins and ask you to forgive me. And by faith, I accept your gift of salvation. I believe that you died for my sins and you rose again on the third day. I want to turn from my sins starting today. And I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Savior and the new leader in my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, as we close out our service this morning, I pray and I ask that if there were one or two or three or a handful of people that prayed that prayer, that you would confirm in their heart what they just prayed. Lord, you would confirm that they are secure in you. They are a child of, of your Father. And Lord, they can know and they can have comfort in knowing you. Lord, perhaps there are some that are here with questions even or not sure. And I pray that you would draw them to you. You would open up their eyes and their heart. And they would seek you. They would run to the cross. They would even seek me out or someone they know to find answers that only you can give, that only your son Jesus provides. But Lord, I know that most of us here this morning are already believers. And the challenge for us is to be ready. And perhaps there are some here today that if we were to meet Christ even now, we would not be ready. There is unconfessed sin in our hearts. There are issues that we're dealing with. And so, Lord, I want to use this time and I ask that you would convict where needed, and we would do business with you. And so as the praise team sings, Lord, we ask that your presence would be felt among us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. The praise team is going to sing, and as they do, let me encourage you to to do business with God if you so need to. Thank you for the cross, the mind.